0: Welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. When it comes to Christmas, a word that we hear a lot is the word peace. You see it on Christmas cards, on ornaments, on light displays. We sing it in carols here in, in church. And we love the idea of peace, especially at Christmas. It seems to just be woven into the fabric of the warm feelings of the season. The problem is so often that when we look around at the world and maybe when we examine our own lives, we find that maybe there's not really so much peace there as we might have hoped for. There's frequently a lot more stress anxiety, maybe even anger, bitterness, there's frequently a lot of so many more things than there seems to be of peace. Ironically, Christmas can actually be, because of the stress of the season, one of the most unpeaceful times of the year, as I'm sure that you are aware. So I want you to listen to some news stories of some people for whom Christmas peace just didn't seem to quite materialize. All right. So the first is Jeremy and Carol Leland of Colorado Springs. They stole Christmas decorations from more than 50 homes in their neighborhood and displayed them in their front yard. Police arrested them after their neighbor discovered his nine foot tall blow up of Dr. Seuss in front of their house with his name written on it. (laughs) Terry Trent broke into a house in Vandalia. Ohio, and he pulled what people are calling a reverse Grinch, right? Remember, the Grinch broke in and stole all the Christmas decorations. Well, this guy broke in and put them up. He was a little bit high, and it seemed like decorating was just the thing that he really felt needed to do at that moment. He was arrested for breaking and entering. Finally, we have 44-year-old Helena Williams of North Chesterton, South Carolina. She was so angry at her husband because he had the audacity to come home from the store on Christmas Eve without any beer. So she took a ceramic squirrel that they just happened to have, and she beat him with it, and when it broke, she stabbed him in the chest with it. Good times, right? So hopefully your Christmas season is going better than these folks, but the truth is that peace can be hard to find in this life at times, and sometimes especially during the Christmas season. Now this morning we are continuing on in our series of messages called It's a Wonderful Life. And as I'm sure you can gather the name of this series, the title comes from the movie of the same name that is so popular around Christmas time. As we mentioned last week, it's about a young man named George Bailey who's got all these plans about going out and seeing the world. But those plans don't really come to fruition. His father dies suddenly and he ends up staying in the little town he grew up in, Bedford Falls and uh, running the family business, he settles down, gets married, and has, has a family. But there's always this kind of thought in the back of George's mind. You know, what if, what if I'd followed my dreams? But then the story really takes a twist on, on Christmas Eve. It's 1945, and, and the business and loan that he's running is about to fail, and George may go to jail because his Uncle Billy did something silly with some of the money from the business. He tries to fix it, and he can't. He's utterly distraught. He ends up in a bar drinking, drunk, drunk. He offers a a prayer to God in the last moment. Doesn't think he's heard. He begins to spiral down even farther and decides he's going to kill himself. So he drives to a bridge and he's going to throw himself into the wintry, icy waters. But what he doesn't know is that God heard his prayer and God had dispatched an angel named Clarence. Not the best angel, kind of a bumbling new angel. But Clarence decides the thing to do is jump into the water. It works. George rescues him and he doesn't kill himself, but George is still distraught, and George wishes that he'd never been born, and that's where the movie really takes off because Clarence gives George a chance to see what the world would have been like if he had never been born, and what George finds out is that that he's done some good in life and that it would not be a good thing if he hadn't been born. In fact, it causes George to reevaluate his entire life And he realizes that he's been focused on the wrong things. He realizes that as upset as he's been, he actually does have a pretty wonderful life. He's got love, he's got a family, he's got a great community who rescues him in the end, by the way. So one of the reasons that It's a Wonderful Life is such a favorite movie for so many people we've talked about is because I think it's a story of struggle and hope that every single one of us can relate to in some way. And I think also because it really lifts up that truth that it's so easy for us at times to get focused on the wrong things in this life, things that we think will lead to a wonderful life, but things that ultimately can't quite deliver what we are hoping for. But the Christmas story is a similar story in a way. It's a story of struggle and hope, but in fact, it's a greater story. In fact, it's the greatest story. It's a story that calls us to focus our hearts and our lives on Jesus and the gifts he brings that do not disappoint. And if we do that, We can indeed have, not a perfect life, but a pretty wonderful life with Jesus. So last week, we focused on that greater story, the meaning of Christmas, the birth of Christ. This morning, we're going to do the same. We're going to focus on that greater story. We're going to focus on the shepherds and the theme of peace. So pray with me. Loving God, we pray that you'd speak into our lives this morning. We know that peace is possible, and yet it seems so fleeting in this world especially at this time of year, God, with all the pressures that mount on us. So we pray that you would speak to us through this great story, the birth of Christ and the different chapters in it, to speak to us this morning, especially about the peace that Christ brings. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 15. So, this is the night of Jesus' birth. It says this And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. "'Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host "'appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest heaven "'and on earth to those on whom his favor rests. "'When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, "'the shepherds said to one another, "'Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing "'which has happened, which the Lord has told us about.'" So Luke, the author of our passage for today, begins in verse 8, and he tells us that on the night Jesus was born, there were some shepherds out in a field nearby watching over their flocks. Now, most of us don't know a lot about shepherding, especially not shepherding in ancient Israel. And for that reason, one of the things that we tend to do when we hear this story is really romanticize the picture that we get in this passage. We tend to think of it as a a beautiful night camped out under the stars, right? No cell phones back there, no emails. It must have been wonderfully peaceful. We picture it like this. So we picture these beautiful, serene, peaceful scenes, and the reality is that they do not match up with the truth of this situation. Because you see, it was no coincidence that these shepherds were out watching their sheep by night, because that's something they did every single night. Because shepherds had to protect their sheep. There were wild animals. There were lions and bears that could come and attack the sheep at any time. And there were also roves of, of thieves who prowled around and were very dangerous and could steal the sheep. And so the shepherds always had to be on guard, especially at night. And because of that, their lives were kind of anything but peaceful. Imagine that being needing to be on guard alert every minute of the day. Now, there was also the fact that in ancient Israel, shepherds uh, were considered very lowly people. I know that seems odd to us because David was a shepherd and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, but in their society at that time, shepherds were considered kind of the, the lower rung of society. They were untrustworthy and dishonest, and we don't have all the time to go into that reasons for that, but that's how they were viewed, and that didn't leave for a very peaceful feeling in a person's heart. And then remember this was a time when Israel had been conquered by the Romans and they lived under Roman occupation. And so every Jew longed for a day when they their nation would be free from this oppression and they could truly be at peace. So the life of a shepherd wasn't very peaceful, and although their lives were very different than ours, we can kind of relate to that feeling, can't we, of really not maybe finding uh, the kind of peace or as much peace as we would really hope to in this life. The shepherds were watching their sheep at night, and verse 8 says that something amazing happened. An angel appeared to them. Now, as I mentioned last week, most of the time in the Bible when angels appear to people, they are absolutely petrified. Because unlike Clarence, the bumbling angel, and it's a wonderful life, you know, just a little friendly guy, or uh, the common images of angels that we get, of little fat babies playing a harp laying on a cloud, That is not at all how the Bible actually presents angels. Angels in the Bible are fierce, even scary. And so when they appear, almost a hundred percent of the time, the people who see them are terrified, absolutely terrified. And this angel, you'll notice, it says when it appears, it says the glory of the Lord shone around him. Now, we don't really know for sure what that means, that the glory of the Lord shone around him, but I kind of imagine it was a powerful and intimidating thing that made this angel even more scary and that's why I think these shepherds now remember they're used to fighting off lions and bears and robbers with just a stick these are some tough guys that's why I think it says that they were terrified when they saw these angels fierce angels the glory of the Lord appears and so what does the angel say when he appears Don't be afraid, because that's what angels almost always say in the Bible when they appear. But then something maybe even more surprising happens. The angel begins to speak. He's got a message. And and listen to what the angel says in verses 10 and 11 again. He says, I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel gives this amazing message. The angel proclaims that the Messiah has been born. The Messiah is this person that hundreds of years before the prophets had said one day God was going to send. They said one day God is going to send this special person. He's going to renew the faith of the people. He's going to deliver them and he's going to initiate God's kingdom in a new way in this world. And that's who the Messiah was. And notice that it says that Jesus was born in the town of David. The town of David is Bethlehem. That's where King David was born. And the angel points this out because the prophets had also said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and would be a descendant of the great King David. David. And that tells us something even more. It says that the Messiah is going to be a king because he's in the line of David. And if you were an ancient person reading that and you're thinking the Messiah is going to be born and he's going to be a king, immediately your wheels start to turn and you realize, well, that's kind of a problem because we already have a king. And his name is Caesar Augustus and he doesn't take too kindly to there being other kings. And so you realize immediately that the the angel is contrasting um, Jesus. With Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. Now, when the angel says, I bring you good news, we think, of course, the good news of Jesus. And that is, in fact, what the angel is talking about. But there's a backstory there. Because you see that, that word, good news, euangelion in Greek, before the New Testament writers picked that up and named that, and Jesus began to use it as the title for his message, it was a word that was used in Roman culture most often to proclaim the worship of Caesar Augustus and of all the worship that that word euangelium good news was called used to call them to the number one thing was the celebration of his birthday and so the angel is unmistakably saying here that the true good news is being proclaimed and it's not about the birth of Caesar it's about the birth of Jesus Not only that, notice that the angel calls Jesus the Lord and Savior. These were titles that Caesar Augustus had chosen for himself. By applying them to Jesus, the angel is saying, I'm here to tell you about the real Lord and Savior. And again, it's not Caesar Augustus. Then in verse 10, uh, it says that Jesus instead of being a cruel dictator like Caesar Augustus, will be for all the people. And what better way to show that Jesus will be for all the people, will be for everyone, than by announcing his birth, first of all, not to kings and queens, not to the governor, not even to the mayor, but to some lowly shepherds out on a hillside. Jesus is for everyone. Now, Back to Caesar Augustus. One of the most important things to know about Caesar Augustus is that this guy was an absolute egomaniac. He was the first emperor of Rome. Prior to that, Rome had been ruled by the Senate, and they had Caesars, but they worked more like a president. When Caesar Augustus came to power, he proclaimed himself the Emperor and took control of Rome, his given name was actually caius octavius that that was his actual name. Um, he was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, the famous general and statesman, and Julius Caesar had adopted uh, Octavius as his son and so Octavius then took the name Caesar on himself from his adopted father. Now when he came to power uh, he decided the title king well that just wasn't going to do that wasn't enough so he chose a new title for himself Augustus, his name is Caesar, his title is Augustus, and Augustus means emperor because kings are lowly. But an emperor, well, that's really something. But in time, he decided even emperor was not enough. And so you know what Caesar Augustus did? He went to the Senate, and he had them proclaim that his adopted father, Julius Caesar, had been a god. And that would mean, therefore, that he was the son of God which he had people call him. So again, the contrast that this angel is setting up between Jesus and Caesar Augustus is unmistakable. One last thing, to top it all off, the thing that Caesar Augustus was most known for and is to this day still is most known for is he instituted the Pax Romana. He instituted peace in the empire, a long period of peace Uh, They called it a worldwide peace, but it was really just peace in the Roman Empire. But the irony is that it wasn't a true peace. It was only peaceful because the Romans had beat everybody down. They'd conquered everybody. But to most of the people living in the empire, conquered people like the Jews, the Pax Romana wasn't real peace at all, and they longed for true peace. So after making all of these amazing statements, the angel tells the shepherds how they can find this Jesus. In verse 12, he says, you will find him in a manger. Remember, that's a food trough for animals. Most babies would not be in a manger. In fact, no babies would be in a manger, but this one. So that's a huge sign, wrapped in bands of cloth. But just then, something else amazing happened. Verse 13 says that suddenly, the sky was filled with the heavenly host who were praising God. Now that word host, in Greek, it literally means armies. So the sky was filled with the heavenly armies. Probably several battalions of these super fierce angels appear in the sky. First of all, notice that Caesar had an army, but so apparently does Jesus. But notice the message of this army. The message isn't that a message of conquest and oppression like Caesar's army. No, the message from the army of heaven, verse 14, is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The army from heaven announces peace. The peace that Jesus would bring would be a true peace, not the false peace of Caesar Augustus and the Pax Romana. Now, it's important for us to notice something here. I hope you notice that in our translation, it doesn't say peace on earth and goodwill to men. I know that the, the traditional translation is peace on earth, but our modern translations honestly are much closer to the original Greek text. And so they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those people on whom God's favor rests. Well, who does God's favor then rest on would be the next question to ask. And that's actually a pretty simple question to answer. God's favor rests on those who believe in him. You can't receive gifts from a God you don't believe in. You can't have favor resting on you from some figure that you don't believe in. But God's favor rests on those who put their faith in him. You see, Jesus can bring peace to our hearts if we put our faith in him. And here's the key thing. Jesus can bring peace to our hearts if we put our faith in him, no matter what else is going on in the world. Because the peace that is promised is not a peace in the world. It's not even a peace in our own lives. The peace that is promised is a peace in our own hearts. A wise person once said this, peace that Jesus gives us is not the absence of trouble, but it is rather the confidence that he is always with you because you've been invited him into your heart and into your life. And remember that the peace of Christ, the apostle Paul speaks about it in the book of Philippians and has a special name for it. Paul calls it a peace of that passes all understanding. It's a, it's a peace beyond anything that we can really comprehend. So we need to realize that true, deep, and abiding peace doesn't come from us. Doesn't. Doesn't come from the government. Doesn't come from the market or from technology. In fact, it's a hard truth but if you if we're really honest with ourselves we need to own the fact that a lot of the chaos a lot of the unpeacefulness in our lives is things that we create. Not only does peace not come from us, we churn up a lot of chaos. We take on too much and we leave no time for peace. We do selfish, uh, sinful things that do not lead to peace. A lot of the messes that we find ourselves in the middle of are messes that we've created for ourselves. And this is true of the world as well as our own lives. If you examine human history, much, maybe most, I didn't have time to check this out. I think it's it's most, but much, if not most, of the destruction, death and suffering of the history of the world has been man-made we created most of it. And while it is certainly true that there are many unpeaceful things in this world, like natural disasters, that we don't cause, again, my point is that true, deep, and abiding peace doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. And what the angel said about the peace Jesus brings, well, it wasn't A new idea. Hundreds of years before, when the prophets had spoken about the Messiah, one of the names that they said the Messiah would have, the prophet Isaiah said, was that he would be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Jesus wants to give us peace. And we also need to remember that these are Jewish people speaking, and when Jewish people are talking about peace, They're talking about a concept of peace that grows from the Jewish word peace, which is shalom. And shalom means so much more than the absence of conflict. Shalom means not only the absence of conflict, but it means wholeness. It means healing. It means thriving or prosperity as a person. That is the kind of peace that Jesus wants to give us right here, right now, in the middle of this very unpeaceful and chaotic world. And the place where that peace from Jesus really, really begins is in our relationship with God. You see, sin damages our ability to know and love God. Sin drives us away from God into places of alienation from Him. But I want you to listen to the words of Romans 5, 1 through 2. This is our second scripture for today. The Apostle Paul writes this. He's talking about Jesus. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, through faith in Jesus, what does he say? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, our sin drives us away from God. It alienates us from God. But Jesus came and lived the good and right life that we're supposed to live. And then Jesus took his good and right life and he offered it to God on the cross in the place of our flawed and broken and sinful and profoundly unpeaceful lives. And when he did that, he brought us grace from God, grace that wipes the slate clean, grace that renews hearts and souls, grace that brings peace to our unpeaceful lives. The true, deep, and abiding peace that Jesus can bring to our hearts begins with this. It begins with the experience of knowing God, and the peace that comes from him. Well, in the 1980s, when the threat of nuclear war hung over our world, which all of a sudden it seems to be doing again with all the stuff with Russia. But back in the 1980s with the Cold War, when when the threat of nuclear war was hanging over our lives, there was this couple who was absolutely terrified of this, and they decided that they were going to find the place in the world that would be the safest, a place where they would have security and they would be able to find some peace. And so they began a massive research project to study where in the world, what location would provide them the best opportunity for safety and peace, and they came up with it. The place they decided on was an isolated group of islands off the coast of Argentina, a small group of islands called the Falkland Islands, which is part of the United Kingdom, and I know some of you know this story. This seemed to be the perfect spot. They'd finally hi- filed the safety and peace that they wanted there for sure. Problem was, shortly after they moved there, guess what? Argentina had always disputed that the, that the UK owned those islands, and they decided to invade, and a short war ensued, the Falkland Islands War. And so overnight, the peace and safety that this couple sought was destroyed. You know, many people today, I think, are pursuing the illusion of peace in similarly futile ways. They turn to wealth or pleasure, to drugs or alcohol or other dead ends, but just like this island paradise that this couple fled to turned into a war zone, pursuing these other things never brings true peace. Instead, as I said, Peace is the gift that Jesus brings. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So how do we get the peace of Christ really embedded in our hearts? Well, I mentioned three really basic things. And the first thing is this, as I said before, it begins with reaching out for Jesus and putting our faith in him. You know, it's a wonderful life, theologically is not a really a great source of theology it, it gets a lot of things wrong but one thing it gets right is that George Bailey at his lowest moment reaches out to God and you know what God responds and that bit is absolutely true if we reach out for Christ Christ will respond if we put our faith in him that's where it really begins Christmas is really about inviting Jesus into our hearts and lives or inviting him into our hearts and lives in a new and deeper way. And doing that leads us to experience his peace. So is that what you need to do this year? Do you need to invite Jesus into your heart and life? Or maybe do you need to invite Jesus more deeply into your heart and life? Maybe there have been places where he's been allowed and other places not so much. Second thing is this, we need to seek to live the way Jesus called us to, to experience his peace. Our faith can't just be faith in words only. I believe this. I don't live it, but I believe it. We've got to actually live it. We need to live the way Jesus called us to. So does that mean that change is in order for you? Is it time to get rid of some things, some practices that do not honor God and do not lead to peace? Is that what you need to do this year in order to embrace the peace that Christ has for us? Number three, we also need to seek to be at peace with others. Broken relationships and conflict with others destroys our peace, like few other things, in fact. So do you need to make peace in some troubled circumstances? Do you need to seek to make peace in some broken relationships? Is that what you need to do this year at Christmas? These are all things that the Scripture calls us to do But the thing is, we have to actually do them in order for them to have effect. Lucinda Norman was writing about her experience Christmas shopping at the mall. It was a day where she had experienced people pushing and shoving and cutting in line and all kinds of the worst of humanity, which you find at the mall. And uh, by 4 p.m., she says she was in a foul mood. She met some friends for dinner at a restaurant there in the mall. And uh, she said she saw a waitress and she just uh, yelled at her, I need hot tea now. The waitress snapped back, I'm not your server, wait your turn. She responded, lady, I've been waiting my turn all day, bring me some tea. But the waitress ignored her and a few minutes went by and suddenly their server did appear, a young man named Robert, he took their order and there was something about him that just struck her and she began to watch him as he moved around the restaurant and what she saw was he helped out that other rude waitress He was kind and gracious to everyone in the midst of the chaos, to the customers, to the staff. Just struck her. This young man's countenance was so much different than the people around her. He just seemed to be polite and calm. He came back to their table and he refilled their tea. And as he did, she looked at his hand and she noticed he was wearing a little ring. It was made up of uh, letters that spelled the name Jesus. She was a person of faith. And in that moment, the Lord just touched her heart. She writes this, From that moment, my attitude changed. This young man's example had reminded me of the peace that Christ came to bring us. For the rest of the day, Lucinda enjoyed shopping, opening doors for others, letting others in front of her in the checkout line, all in an attitude of peace. Because again, I said all these things that the Lord calls us to, we have to actually do them for them to have the effect that we'd like. One last thing When we're feeling unpeaceful, I want us to follow the example of the shepherds. Verse 15, when they heard the message of Jesus, these shepherds whose lives were fairly unpeaceful, we talked about. When they heard the good news of Jesus, what's the first thing they did? They went to Jesus. And when we're in that place of feeling unpeaceful, when the stress, the anxiety, the unpeacefulness of life is setting upon our hearts, we need to go immediately to Jesus and we need to seek to hand those things over to him. First, Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. So may we learn to do this and to be filled with Jesus and the gift of peace he brings. Amen.